So of course, always thank you to um, the shul, the Rebbe, and um, of course to David Solomon, who is behind all these shiurim. On my daily WhatsApp, I usually um, start off by who's David Solomon's father and sponsored. So I think it's uh, certainly deserving that we should dedicate this uh, this class. Also, uh, a special thank you to Torah anytime. You know, uh, sometimes when I uh, I need a boost and I'm traveling and I need someone to give me chizuk, someone comes over and says, "Oh, I saw you on Torah anytime." Then I feel like a million dollars. So Torah anytime deserves such thank yous. Amazing what Torah anytime has, has done. Really revolutionized Torah anytime, literally. And especially these past two weeks. I've been actually sometimes it's different weeks, but the special Siata Dishmai the past two weeks started with uh, those that are following the Indian trip. I was able to be in India and discuss hopefully some of that, a lot of interesting lessons that um, connected tonight's talk. And then we also discussed a lot about dogs. Sometimes uh, Siata Dishmai, I pick a topic to speak about. And I was just shocked at the response of how many, uh, how many dog wannabe <laughs> lovers and owners and Shilas. A lady even um, basically told me that she, they put me on, the, on their certain website and I became the official rabbi of some dog society. <laughs> so, oh, Hashem, I really uh, I moved up in the world. The big and as uh, those of family will discuss, really fascinating, fascinating ideas and teachings that we can learn from uh, from dogs. Really amazing. Many years ago, I was by a levaya. It was uh, probably the strangest levaya because it was someone actually in Muncie. It was very close to his dog, and uh, never when his dog passed away. So he requested that there'll be ten people by the. By the Levaya, really, it was, a, it was an, uh, I'm not, I'm not making this up, and I went, and it was actually quite emotional. And then he asked me to speak. That was quite a, quite a challenge. Not so easy to come up with. A, they don't have that, by the way, in the Madrich, <laughs> in the RCA uh, Rabbi's Manual. But, um, but it was a, quite an experience. And then we found out that there's sources for it. There's actually sources for such a concept. Um, I'm not saying how much money to charge and how much money you can make, and uh, there's a real, barely, you know, there's a graveyard specifically for dogs. But all this, I really wanted to connect to Matan Torah. The special day, the Shabbos, that we're learning Matan Torah, like the Ramchal says, you're reliving anytime we're learning and we're reading something. So there's Man is Goyrem that we could re experience something that happened 3,300, I think now up to 40 years ago. Quick calculation. And although it sounds like a long time ago, but we could relive whatever the experience is, it's right now, this Shabbos. So much so that there's a, a segula that was said over from Rav Shlomo Busa, quite a chash of a Talmud Chacham and a tzaddik, and he has a Messiah, and uh, you could understand the sources for this concept, that on, during the laning, just like when Matan Torah took place, there was a refuah that came to the world, people were healed, so, so too it's Kedai, and that's where there's always a request. Even if there's a possibility that there's speaking usually on the Shabbos, this Shabbos, Mamash, no speaking at all, and the whole Tzibu has an opportunity for healing. And there's so much healing, of course, that we all know that we need. 
So it's G'day to tap into that. So I want to speak a little bit, focus, what exactly is Matan Torah all about? If we had to take one phrase and describe, what's the meaning of Matan Torah? I once heard many years ago from Noach Weinberg, Zichon Olivacha, he said that if you want to really put a caption about Matan Torah, he said, Matan Torah was a day for the only, only hope for humanity. That's the way he described it. Only hope for humanity, that was Matanter. Now I want to understand that a little bit deeper. What, what does that mean, the only hope for humanity? So first of all, there's an amazing, it's good to see there's a, a letter that was written by president, the second president of the United States. Um, who was that? <laughs> right. so once upon a time we knew this stuff. The second president of the United States was? Thank you, wow. Impressive. So John Adams wrote a letter in response to a French philosopher who was criticizing the, the Jewish people. And John Adams wrote the following amazing words. He said, when he was speaking how he's defending the Jews, John Adams. So, Baruch Hashem, we finally came so many years past, so many presidents again, and we're seeing someone that actually speaks up on the defending the Jews. But listen to the beautiful words, a little bit of a different style than today's president. He said the following, he said, They are the most glorious nation that ever inhabited this earth. The Romans and their empire were but a babel, which is about something small, in comparison to the Jews. They have given religion to three quarters of the globe and have influenced the affairs of mankind more and more happily than any other nation, ancient or modern. This is from John Adams. Could I to memorize these words? So, John Adams is saying something that really was supposed to, it's supposed to be in our being, it's supposed to be in our DNA, to appreciate what the Jewish nation and how lucky we are on that special day called Matan Torah. I once heard from uh, Yaakov Weinberg, he used to say, he used to like quoting a poem. There was a poem that someone wrote, I don't know the author, he used to, it was written like this, it would say, How odd of God to choose the Jews, not so odd we chose God. Now, it's a very profound statement, and in truth, if you think about it, when you want to understand Matan like we're describing in one sentence, what was Matan about? Matan was about changing humanity, it was actually taking human beings and giving them a manual, how to be different, really, than animals. And really, the opportunity was given to every nation, but we chose God. Now, in truth, if you go a little bit deeper into Chazal, it's good to understand why is it that we were Zeicha? Why were we Zeicha to be Taka the Rabbanishim's nation, the emissaries of this world, the chosen nation? And always make sure not to make a mistake. Chosen doesn't mean necessarily better, it means better off. It's a responsibility, it's an opportunity, it's an amazing opportunity. And we mess up, then we, are, we get punished much more than the, anyone else. But yeah, we're the teachers of humanity. How were we so lucky? How is it that, you know, we look on the, uh, the Nobel Prizes and all the different successes and all the inventions and all the medical advances, it all stems from this little tiny dot on the map, of, on the globe. But how were we zeiche? So, I once saw in the book, Robert Tursky has a book on joy, on simcha. By the way, it's interesting, if you notice, when I read that John Adams points out that we influenced humanity, we influenced the world more happily than anyone else. That's an amazing statement, that there's a koyach of joy, there's a koyach of happiness, that really can't be successful. 
But anyway, what's the secret? Why did Hashem choose us? Why does Hashem love us so much? So look at the Pasuk in, I think it's in this Vaischana, in Pasuk in Dvarim, Sefer Dvarim, it says, Loi merubechem choshak Hashem. Not because you're many, because you're a lot of people, because we're not. Ki atem ha-me'at mikol amim. Ki me'avat Hashem, umishamoyes ha-shvua, the Pasuk goes on to explain, because there was a shvua, and there was a, there was a bris, and the bunch of promised to Avraham Avinu. But Rotwurski in his book says that he was also dumbfounded. He was reading the Sivashalm and he saw in the Sivashalm quotes a Tanchuma on this Pasuk. The Tanchuma says that the answer is already in the second part, right, right after. Not because you're many. Sounds like because you're the small, small people. Why is that the answer? That's the answer. Says the Tanchuma, you know why? You know why we were chosen? Because we act humble. Why? Because we have the trait of humility. Fascinating Tanchuma. That's the secret. Hashem chose us. I was telling someone today, there's two, I have a Chavrusa, different Chavrusa, sometimes there's a two-minute Chavrusa, five-minute, I made a two-minute Chavrusa, I have a few of them, on Shara Bitochan and Shara Knia. Shmaya was supposed to have that. Shara Knia, I told someone, the two most important, in my humble opinion, humble opinion, uh, gates in Choyves Adavavs and duties of the heart that a person can't move a day without. I even have a Chavrusa with my daughter in Israel, and I, I, I see the difference in myself when I don't learn one day, Shara Bitochan and Shara Knia. Shara Knia is one of the most powerful Sha'orim. I would say that 90% of the Shalom Bais, and I mean Shalom Bais, whether it's husband or wife or or children and parents, or employees and, and workers, etc., would be solved if people would learn Shara Knia. Shara Knia basically teaches you how to be humble, what it means to have humility, what it means to be a human being, what it means to understand your relationship with the Rabbani Shalom, what it means that if someone makes fun of you, it's really nothing to do with him, it's all to do with you. Imagine all that somehow... Uh, a pill that we could swallow called Shara Knia. I have a Chavusam up to the fourth time reviewing it. And we both know that we still need a hundred times more. It's a pill that's constant. It's one of those vitamin C's that, you know, you need all the time. So like today there's a very famous vitamin that kids need today. It's the most popular vitamin and it's, very, it's given uh, very sparingly. It's called the vi- vitamin N. Anyone know what the vitamin N is? No, exactly. <laughs> but kids have to hear sometimes no. Not you, but you know. Kids have to hear some vitamin N. There's very little bit of vitamin N that's being given. A big uh, Chacham said this. It's a big, very in- interesting insight. But vitamin Shara Knia is one of the most important vitamins. And I think it very much relates to Matan Torah. Matan Torah is about to be able to be deserving, to be able to really be who we could be, Shara Knia. We need to have humility. And I want to explain a little bit uh, what, what that means. What does that translate into? So, on this travel, on this journey this past two weeks, one of the topics that I touched on, as I said, was dogs. And interestingly enough, because of Torah anytime, so someone who was watching sent me a beautiful WhatsApp and then sent me a Ma'aral. Ma'aral mi Prague on Maseches Hoyriyos, I think on Daf Yud Gimel. There's a very interesting sugi that those who remember the Daf Yim, it's already a while back. In the Daf Yim, we had an interesting sugi that discusses why is it that mice, uh, not, that cats, 
are less loyal than dogs. Ever notice? I actually owned. A, I grew up with a with a cat. Her name was Bendito. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> we buried her. My sister was taka. It was quite traumatic, and we had a whole avaya process. This is when I was young. But um, a cat, and then there's a dog. So the Gemara in Hurrius is a fascinating Gemara, if you recall. It discusses all the different things that cause a person to forget. So Gemara says, well, if you eat from something that a mouse ate from, that will cause you to forget. It's called Kshichicha. There's different things that cause a person to forget. You're not supposed to eat the end of a challah. You know, you try to give it to the ladies. <laughs> then they say, why are you giving it to me? <laughs> um, anyway, it's a whole interesting discussion about the end, end challah. But the... Um, but in any rate, so the Gemara says, if you eat from something that a mouse eats from, it causes you shechecha, alachas kama vekama, how much more so if you eat the mouse itself? And since cat eat mice, mimele, they have a tremendous sense of forgetfulness. They forget. They forget their owner. They forget things. If you ever notice your cat's forgetting, don't get all upset. <laughs> you know? He probably ate a mouse. Although I've never seen a cat eat a mouse, by the way. They usually just play with it. Because today's cats are lazy, but... In the old days, uh, the cats, they were busy eating, eating mice. In any rate, so the Maharal says, takes it to a different level, comes the Maharal and he says, it's not just that. Dogs are called balei nefesh. And this person who wrote this to me, it, it said, it, it striked him. What does that mean, bal nefesh? What is that trend that we find this term all over, actually, halacha and shas. In halacha, many times we find a concept called bal nefesh yachmir. What does a Baal Nefesh mean? literally means the owner of a soul. Soul owner, right? What does that mean, soul owner? And I think there's a big secret here that really will shed light on a lot of different uh, things that we're discussing here. So, part of this uh, great journey of the dogs started with a dog called Igor. Those that um, were listening, it's actually a fascinating story that took place uh, ten years ago, during the, it's called Mivtza Kasled, when uh, there was, um, I always forget what they call it in, in English, um, uh, in Hebrew, I mean, when the, we went into Janina, we, we were basically busy, unfortunately, like we are every, every few years, um, fighting against the Arabs and the Palestinians. So in any rate, why does it got to do with dogs? So there was a Talmud Chacham, he was traveling, and suddenly the, the sirens went off. So he had to veer off the, uh, the street, and by accident, in his immediate veering, he trampled over a dog and killed, killed the dog. Anyway, so when the, the sirens were, were over and everything was okay, so a family came out, all devastated, a non-frum family, and they saw the dog flat and dead. And they looked at this Haredi Talmud Chacham, and the first thing, of course, they started saying, you this, and you Haredi, and you don't care about animals, and you have no sensitivity. Now, this was a trained Talmud Chacham, Baruch Hashem, and, uh, in Kiruv, and he knew exactly what to say, and to validate them, and to say, you know, you're so right, etc., etc. And what, what happened was, that friendliness created a beautiful bond, and he even offered, maybe I could come and I give a class once a week in your home. And one thing led to the next, and the amazing thing is, is that this, it turned into a, more than just one class a week. And eventually, this family decided, this non-from family, as they were becoming more religious, decided that they want to de- designate and dedicate their basement and turn it into a base midrash, and turn it into a shul. And they wanted to call it, and be mansiach, and dedicate it, and they wanted to call it base midrash Igor. 
And the Talmud Chacham loved everything until that last point. He said, what's Igor? And they said, the dog. Remember the dog that you killed? That dog caused this whole class. And we want to dedicate this shul and call it Beis Midrash Igor. <laughs> so, this Talmud Chacham really was a uh, court of God, to say the least. And interestingly, he sent the Shailah to Rav Zilberstein, who gets all the interesting Shailahs, and then has, yeah, writes it in his Sefer. And it's a great question. And this is a, and, and he goes into a whole discussion. Does it make sense? Can you call a base Midrash after a dog? And incredibly, he brings a proof from a Tana. There was a person by the name of Yochanan Tortita, who basically was named after a cow. And he goes on to explain, it's actually based on the Ritzvah Maseches Yom, if you want to see the history behind it. Whole history of why this cow was so special. This cow, like we find by Pinchas Ben Yoyer, right? That he also, Pinchas Ben Yoyer's Hamol, didn't want to eat from things that were enticed. So this cow was dedicated and so was religious, it didn't work on Shabbos. Anyway, one thing led to the next, this person eventually had to sell the cow. He sells the cow to a non-Jew. The non-Jew says, great, wonderful cow. After six days, the seventh day comes at Shabbos and the cow is not working. So the non-Jew comes back to the Jew and says, he sold me a cow, it's a mekachtos, he's not working on Shabbos Kodesh. I didn't say Shabbos, he says seven, once a week he's not working. Anyway, this Jew goes over to the cow and he whispers to the cow and he says, I know, when you were in my house, we didn't work on Shabbos. You're now in this non-Jew, I had to sell you, I'm sorry, but you got to work on Shabbos. Anyway, the cow obviously didn't respond with, with words, but it clicked, and it started working. And this non-Jew was so inspired that he became a convert, and he became Jewish. And hence, Rabbi Yechanan, instead of whatever his real name was, his name was Rabbi Yechanan Teresa, basically based Rabbi Yechanan of the cow. So, you see from here that you could call it a base Middash, if you could call it a pratana after a, uh, an anu, a cow, you could call base Middash after Igor. But he goes on to explain that maybe it's not so simple because the dog, on the other hand, is a caliph. Usually when you speak about a caliph, it doesn't sound so, so positive. A, a para, a cow, is at least tall, it's kosher. Right? So then he goes on to show, and in fact, interesting, that the chazonish was makbid, that when, when he would say, you know, uh, get this dog out of the house, he wouldn't even say, he said, totziu et akaf lamed beis mina bais. Certainly sounded like he didn't want to even mention dog, which is some their concept that you sometimes find by Jews. On the other hand, there's incredible Yerushalmis that we mentioned. Yerushalmis in Maseches Trumas that Mamish changed the world of how you look at a, at a, at a dog. The Yerushalmi goes on to explain how there were dogs that were so loyal to their owners that they gave up their lives for them. There was a dog once, the Gemara is discussing in the end of Maseches Trumas if you're allowed to drink or eat something that there was gilui. Gilu basically means you release something alone and it's... Um, and uh, maybe a snake, especially in the old days, snake would put their venom in. So there's a story. The Gemara says a story where there was a, a group of shepherds that weren't watching the milk. And a snake came and snuck in and put its venom. And the dog watched the whole thing. And then when the shepherds came back and they wanted to eat from the, uh, from the milk and drink the milk, so the dog started barking and trying to give them uh, some signal. Now sometimes when you see a dog barking, you just see whatever, it's dog barking. Anyway, this dog was a special dog, but they didn't get it. And they were about to drink the, mo- the milk, and the dog jumped and drank the milk, and he died. And Yushami says, you see, the loyalty of dogs. 
Then Yerushalmi says something even more interesting. Yerushalmi says that there was once a Talmud Chacham. He shows up in a person's house. And this, by the way, is it. So after I said this story from the Yerushalmi, someone sent me the Rechaim Kreisworth, Zichon had Mamish, a similar Maiseh. Where a Talmud Chacham came to someone's house and the Talmud Chacham sits at the beautiful table and he looks next to him and he sees a dog <laughs> sitting. I don't know if he was sitting with a knife and fork, but there's a dog sitting right there, mechubed, with also the chash of a table. Anyway, he's, uh, he's a little bit dumb, he's uh, surprised. And he's like looking at the, uh, the balabas who invited him. And he's, he's like, my hi! You know, uh, with all due respect, I didn't imagine that you'd be mechubed to sit next to a dog. So this person, they said, I have to tell you the truth. This dog saved me. They were, they were robbers that came and they were going to kidnap my wife and my dog bit them, hurt them, and saved my wife. And I was thinking, how can I honor my dog? I figured the biggest honor is if I could sit my dog next to a Talmud Chacham like you, that would be the best honor. So that's the reason why. Now you think it sounds a little bit funny, but there's such a maizah like this with Ucham Kruzot and different tzaddikim that they appreciated what a dog is. Rav Chaim Kreisworth relates that when he was running away from the Nazis, Yimach Shemam, so he, um, there was a dog. Whenever he was hiding out, there'd be a dog that would come with a bag of food, and that's how he survived. And therefore, many years later, whenever he would come to someone's house, and there was a famous Balabas, he would come, and initially when the Balabas had Rav Chaim Kreisworth there, so the dog, he had, you know, was an owner of a dog, and the dog would come and stop, you know, running between the legs and this, and he was so embarrassed, and Chaim Garza started playing with the dog and saying, you don't know how much I appreciate the dog. So says the Maharal, what does the word kelev really mean? Kuloi lev. I don't know if there's any other source, an earlier source, that Maharal says, a dog is kuloi lev. Now this is something that I didn't say in the WhatsApp, so if you've been listening and you know everything I've just said until now, the, someone pointed out who had the first watchdog. Who had the first dog? Did anyone know who was the first owner of the dog? It goes all the way back to Cain and Hevel. Adam Arishan, I'm not sure, maybe because he wasn't a shepherd. Hevel was a shepherd. The Midrash Rabbah says an incredible lesson. The Midrash Rabbah says, when it describes a fight that took place between Cain and Hevel, this usually we're not taught, but Cain and Hevel, you know, in the, in the story in the Chumash, it's very quick. Cain basically was having a conversation with Hevel, and he killed Hevel. Next thing you know, Hevel's dead. In the Midrash it says the following. What happened was Cain actually, Hevel, ran away up a mountain. He didn't want to fight Cain. Cain came ran, running after him and Hevel was basically holding him down and Hevel could have killed him because he was stronger. But Cain said to him, what's going to be if you kill me? So Hevel let go. And the next thing you know, it, Cain kills Hevel. Now after the death of Hevel, there's a watchdog, the Midrash says, that was watching Hevel until Adam Arishan and Chava came to bury Hevel. So this was Hevel's watchdog. Now after this, the Pasuk says that Cain was punished, but he did have tshuva. When he did have tshuva, Hashem gave him Rachmanus. It says in the Pasuk, Vayosem Hashem Kain Ois. He made a sign for Cain. So the Midrash goes and explains different explanations. What sign? Some say Shem Hashem, so animals won't um, hurt him. Some say there was actually a horn. Some say, the Midrash brings an opinion, that he gave him a dog. A dog. Why a dog? 
So this I saw, someone sent me today from my friend. He said, you know why a dog? Because this dog was Hevel's dog. And Hashem was telling Kain, you want to learn what it means to be loyal to the Rebbeinu Shalaylam? I'll give you a dog. Walk around with a dog. You'll learn from a dog what it means, cool I live. What it means to be a loyal, a loyal human being to the Rebbeinu Shalaylam. That's why you had a dog. So already that's the history of a dog. There's so many lessons about dogs, but that's not really what I want to bring out. What I want to bring out is, what does this term Baal Nefesh mean? What does a Baal Nefesh mean? And I think the idea of Baal Nefesh is about a person who's conscious and aware that he's a soul and not just a physical body. When the Torah was given to Klali what happened? We were given instructions of how we could be soul-like. How we could be human beings that could transform ourselves. How we could be human beings that we focus on changing ourselves, on growing, on working on our desires, not being just based on what our animalistic desires tell us to do. And you know what's amazing? On this trip, getting back to India, so part of this trip, for me, it was, a very, it was just a religious experience. Basically religious, and then, of course, entertaining and uh, quite uh, culturally shocking. Just to experience what it means to be in a country of 1.3 billion people. I never saw this in my life. If you think uh, driving is uh, challenging, maybe in uh, Rockland County or in Muncie, I've never seen, you've never seen anything like it. Driving in India, you basically drive about 20 to 30 miles an hour max. Can't do much more. There is basically no rules, much rules. There's cows and dogs and monkeys that cross. It's not much like a game. If you imagine when you were growing up playing one of these uh, Atari games, I'm not joking, I couldn't believe it. I took some videos of it just to... to, to to, to, believe, to show that it's actually true. That it, and, and the most amazing thing is, you have literally millions of people, you have a billion point three people, and there, we never saw one car accident. <laughs> that was even more amazing. But again, part of it is because if you're only going 30 miles, and, and you would get so close, and then a cow would come, and a bull would come, and a buffalo would come. It would be the most amazing thing, to, uh, entertaining, mamish, so fascinating. But that was the fun part. The more, I would say, the religious part was really trying to understand what exactly is the Avodah Zara of India. Don't forget that India, according to many, especially now we're holding Mahoyduvad Kush, you know, 30 days before, before Purim Katan, is usually, and it happened this year again, we attacked Iran. Iran is by Shushan Abira. And Hoidu, Mahoidu Kush is where Hashveyosh was Moilech. It's a lot of interesting history about Hoidu and where exactly Kush is. Let's start an interesting question. Happens to be that the connection to this week's Parsha also is because Kush is where Moshe Rabbeinu was king for many years. Hoidu and Kush is a machlik, where Kush is. In any rate, when I was interviewing, I had an interview with a scholar, with a priest, with a monk. Especially when I got to Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka, those that uh, know the globe a little bit, is south of India. But there's a major difference between India and Sri Lanka. 
What's the difference? In Sri Lanka, most are worshipping Buddhism, they're not worshipping Hinduism. And there's a major difference. Hinduism is filled with Avedah Zara. And I mean, when, I, when I say Avedah Zara, initially, you mamish think you're in a little in Mitzrayim, in Gilulim, you're in a, 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 a sea of Avedah Zara. Then you start speaking to the people, you realize the Avedah Zara is very weak. I remember I was in a, in a car with one a driver, and the driver basically was having a really bad day. I felt so bad for him because the traffic and he wasn't getting where he's supposed to get and the boss was getting upset at him. Anyway, so I tried to engage him in conversation. I was always trying to get more information. I said, so which God do you believe in? <laughs> so I remember like, I almost had to hold myself back. He goes, I believe in the monkey God. At first I thought I was joking. No. He explained to me there's 30,000 different gods and his God is monkey God. I said, first of all, now I understand we're having a bad day. <laughs> what are you going to do? So your, your, your guy's a monkey god. But even though it's, this, this is real, it's reality, at the same time, I would speak to different uh, Indians, but Seyfu Shadava, and I'd say, you don't really believe that there's a power. And eventually they would even say to me, you're right, there's, a, there's one main god. But the, then there's, the, you know, these... Uh, now where does this all come from? So we know we have a Rambam. The Rambam explains to us exactly where Avodah Zorah came from. To me, what's so interesting is that if you analyze anything, probably in the other religions, it stems back from Judaism. Some way, of course, there's something that's already usher. You can't believe in monkeys as, as a force. There's no doubt about that. Right? But at the end of the day, analyze a lot of the minhagim. One of the most interesting halachic minhagim that I was busy with in India, of course, was the famous shetel here. So everyone wants to know, yes, is the, is the hair from Shaito really sacrificed, not sacrificed? Years of it, hours and videos and Tamid Chachamim have been sent to India to figure this out. I figured if I'm already in India, let me try to understand it. So Aitaka would speak to people. I even spoke to a priest. He came out. We had a great conversation. My biggest problem was, and I saw in one of the Svarim that they put out 10 years ago when... Uh, not 10 years ago, it put out two years ago, but it was based on a lot of research. The biggest challenge was to translate the word sacrifice. If you think about it, I would speak to them and I would say, so what happens? You sacrifice, you sacrifice the hair. So what's the problem? Because the word sacrifice in English can mean two things. I want to sacrifice myself, i.e., I'm going to sacrifice my hair means I will not give it chashivas importance and I'm willing to give it up in order to get closer to God. That's one interpretation of the word sacrifice. The other interpretation is a koban, offering. The amazing thing is, it's a machlekes. I'm going to tell you what I think. I'm not telling you the halach lemaiseh because I think there's still research that needs to be done. But what's so interesting is that that's where I would get stuck. And again, Indians speak English. So they would be able, they were stuck. I need another word. I need another word for sacrifice. But it's so interesting. So even the minhagim of the hair, you know where that comes from? First of all, there's Gemara and Maseches Nazir. They told me that most, there's only one place that actually does women's cutting of the hair as sacrifices. Most common is young boys, when they're 13, they do an up, they don't call it up sharing, but they cut their hair. All these, and then you'd go from one minute to the next. What to me, and I wanted, this is what I want to get to because it's getting a little bit late. To me, one of the most interesting conversations that I had was about 45 minutes with a monk. I wanted to hear, and this was in Sri Lanka. First, I wanted to understand Buddhism. I wanted to know if it was or not. 
clear, this is one of the biggest, I think, uh, Stam, you could Google about it and you'll find everything I'm saying is, I think, true, is that Buddhism has nothing to do with that with the Zohar. Because Buddhists, Buddhism doesn't believe that there's a God at all. They believe, basically, that your job in this world, and hear this clearly, because this is Be'etzim Shara Prishus, so where do you think they got this from? That the avoid of a human being is basically to meditate and work on themselves that you don't have any more desires. Your physical desires are controlled. Right, right now we're working this week on diet and eating, the, one of the biggest challenges of your humanity today. All that is straight shara precious. Look in Mesilis Yisharim, look in the Chavis Salavavis. And this monk was so interesting. He's been meditating and working on himself for 60 years. And when I mention, what do you think of the Jews? This is the most amazing. He has this big smile on his face. He goes, the Jewish people? So smart. <laughs> so smart. And then he goes, Moshe Dayan, Golda Meir. <laughs> so first of all, I'm like, not from that era. Like, most of you don't even, you know what I'm talking about, right? That's not the first thing you would think of, but it's interesting. Yeah, he's been, he's been 60 years meditating in, uh, in uh, whatever, in the monastery, or whatever it's called, and... Um, and these were the two people that very influenced, and he was very impressed with these were the smart people of the Jewish people. But to me, it was so enlightening. First of all, his face shined. Jews, wisdom. And then also, where is he getting this precious from? It's all stemming the concepts from us. Okay, just we have a little bit different rules of uh, when and what. But essentially, this is our koyach, this is our teaching. And I want to tell you that the avoida of self-avoida, and that's, I think, the essence of this, of this Matan um, and this, this whole speech is really about realizing that all the Chachmas and all the Avoidas that are true and good come from us. And we're Zeichet to teach it in some way. Just sometimes it uh, got lost. And sometimes we have to retrieve it. But I'll end with an amazing story just to show you that probably the greatest leader of Buddhists and Hinduism is a person by the name of the Dalai Lama. Some of most of you heard of him. One of the most incredible stories, which really sends this lesson home, is written, and you could Google it, it's written by probably someone that maybe 10 years ago, maybe even more, he, was, he grew up in El Tisal, and he had a very difficult childhood, and like many Israelis, I was actually looking for many Israelis, what happens is they somehow have an incredible pull to India. Which my, uh, my guess is based on the Rashi, Avram Avinu sent the Bnei Pilakshim with a lot of Koyach that really, that Rashi says, Shemus there's a powerful pull for a Jew, a Neshama that's looking to grow. And if they're not finding it in Judaism, they end up in India. Thousands of Jews that go there. Anyway, this Jew who started off religious and lost his religion, went to India, and he describes how he heard about the Dalai Lama. So he ended up getting to the Dalai Lama. Anyway, when he finally got in, so the Dalai Lama told him the following. He said, all religions are just trying to copy Judaism. Why settle for a copy? Go home to your heritage. Atkan are the words of this Jew. And he said, he went back and he became religious again. But the story doesn't end here. The amazing story is that this Dalai Lama, besides everything that doesn't get out, I'm not uh, 
If he's a real I don't believe he's a real Avedezora, that's my guess. But if he is, I can't really praise him. But I can tell you he was a Shadchan. Because what happened? A few years into this story, a young lady shows up to the Dalai Lama. And this young lady, also searching, and finally gets to the Dalai Lama, and she's speaking to him. And the Dalai Lama said very similar words. And this is quotations of what they said, what he said. He said, why are you switching gold for silver? Go home. And then, before he sent her home, he sent a message to one of his, whatever his, uh, you know, Talmudim, whatever, assistants. And this assistant comes back, and with a little petik, with a little note of a name and a number. And this lady goes home to Eretzisal. She becomes a Baalash Tshuva. Somehow she remembers this name and the number. And she reaches out. Took her a while. She describes how she had to, I don't know, somehow miraculously she finds this name. And she said, for some reason I need to call you. And the end, you know, the end of the story is that they get married. So here's a Shatchan. <laughs> but the amazing thing is, is that many times we need to hear it from the other side. We need to hear it from every place else other from inside to know that we have the true heritage, that we have the wisdom, that we have the teaching, that we have the secret, that we know how to get the highest level of pleasure, that we know what it means to ascend to the highest places, to Dvekus. Elamai, many times it's, um, it's lost, it's not taught. But that's the present, and that's, some, and that's really what Matan Torah is about. Matan Torah is to realize, and this Shabbos, when we, when we stand by the Matan Torah and we, we're listening to the laning, to try to envision ourselves, to close ourselves and think how lucky we are. What a precious gift, Chemda Gnuza, like Chazal say, that we were given this gift that is the teaching manual for, entire, for history, for the entire humanity. It's the secret of everything. And we were given. We were, and if there's a problem, and there's something that we can't solve, then it's, it's a chisora not in the Torah, it's in us, in understanding it. And we need to delve more. But I should be zeicher that our Kabbalah, the Torah, the Shabbat, should be a real Kabbalah. Thank you very much.